Hi, I'm Krista, and this is episode 13 of Kratom Sobriety. We have an interview with Jacob from Maine, who after over 20 attempts at quitting Kratom, decided to use medication-assisted treatment to disrupt and end his addiction to OPMS Black Kratom shots. Thanks, Krista. Yeah, I'm excited about the interview with Jacob. But before we get into that, how are things in Florida? Things are good. It is the rainy season, so it pours every day in the afternoons. You know, it's hurricane season, so we'll see what this year brings to the state of Florida. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of weather here is a, it's a little humid and hot in the Midwest. Yeah, the heat index here is about 105 <laughs> every day. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to complain about the heat. <laughs> Yeah, but that's that's sunny Florida. You know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. So one of the things Jacob talks about is using smart recovery as a support mechanism. And since the two of us are so rooted in the 12 steps, I thought we could talk a little bit about some of the alternatives to AA and NA. And then next week, we can discuss some tips on how to use any of these self-help group options to help with Kratom, because most of those are focused typically on alcohol abstinence, um, but you might be able to make use of them for Kratom recovery, but we'll, we'll discuss those tips next week. So why don't we start, we'll start off, we have a list here of some of the options, and I'll start off here, and then we can discuss each one. As a preface, I think neither of us actually have firsthand in-person experience with any of these. So this is a learning process for us. Uh, these are, I mean, I've heard of most of these, uh, you know, I have never attended one of these meetings. And so our discussions will be based on internet research. <laughs> the first one is Smart Recovery, which is a science-based peer-led program promoting self-empowerment and cognitive behavioral techniques for addiction recovery. Smart Recovery appears to be a support group offshoot of what was formerly known as Rational Recovery or AVRT. They had smart recovery at the treatment center. I didn't attend it. I, I kind of come from the understanding a couple of the things you said. It's rooted with some psychology, like cognitive behavioral techniques. And I think it's got some aspects of motivational interviewing, which are just two techniques that, you know, are used in addiction a lot. There's a lot of scientific evidence for cognitive behavioral therapy and smart recovery. Like it's it's a measurable type of treatment. So I think you know, treatment centers like it. It's probably being offered more than maybe it has in the past. So it has like an evidence based foundation to it. When you yeah. say it, there's a science behind it. Sounds like one of the attractive things, it's non-religious. Yeah, I think, too, um, with Smart Recovery, the thing that I remember them talking about a little bit in treatment is it's, like, very goal-oriented, too. Like, I think it's kind of a part of the recovery practice in that program that you kind of get up every day, you set achievable goals, or, you know, whether it be for the day or the week or whatever. And I think it's pretty encompassing, too, for, like, all types of addictions, like gambling addiction, drug addiction, alcohol addiction. So it's it's pretty flexible and adaptable, I think, a little more than, you know, some of the, you know, maybe 12-step programs. So we've got Refuge Recovery and Recovery Dharma. Both of these groups are Buddhist-inspired support groups. They use mindfulness and compassion to address addiction and suffering. 
refuge recovery was something that I actually, I did try refuge recovery when I was away last year. Pretty cool. It's um, grounded on the four noble truths of Buddhism. And it is about like the path to suffering and suffering and addiction and finding your way through mindfulness. And I mean, honestly, most of the refuge recovery meetings was a lot of meditation. You know what I mean? Like that, that seemed to be primarily what they do in those meetings. In this list, I lumped them together. I'm sure that there's some distinctions between them, um, but they're both uh, Buddhist based. Prayer is a form of meditation, in, which is 11th step in the uh, 12 steps. I think the issue with all these options is whether or not there's a critical mass locally for you, like there's enough people to have frequent enough meetings. I'm sure you can find um, online versions of all these meetings versus having a local meeting where you go in person. And in general, I find those in-person meetings to be a little bit more meaningful and you develop more long-lasting relationships. So the next one, another lumping of different groups, Life Ring Secular Recovery and Secular Organizations for Sobriety, also known as SOS. These are non-religious support networks that focus on personal responsibility and self-empowerment and recovery. The, this I, Actually, I just learned about these in the last day. Last day. <laughs> Have you ever heard of them before? Yeah, I've actually, I've never heard of, um, I love it that it's SOS for that secular organization yeah. for sobriety. That's great. Like, um, but no, I had heard of Life Ring because um, I don't remember exactly when it was, but maybe uh, a few years ago, I was looking for alternatives for, for people rather than AA because I had a lot of people that I was working with that were like, I don't want to do AA. I don't want to do 12 step. That was when I first had like heard of Smart Recovery. Um, and then I heard of Life Ring. There was actually, there used to be in my area, I mean, one a week. It's no longer, I, I checked to see if it was around. But I'm kind of curious to see what a meeting would be like. It's not around in my area anymore. But um, I just heard of it. You know, I knew it was non-religious. I knew it was an alternative pretty much to, you know, the spiritually based belief system and 12-step program. So idea here is, you know, when you try to do recovery or abstinence by yourself, it, it sometimes it's very, it's difficult and it's lonely. So if you are in a community in general, success rates are higher. So, and we both realize that the 12 steps aren't for everybody. They're the most prevalent and easiest to find. They sort of have a monopoly on the self-help group model. We're just trying to explore some of the other options. Um, so another one we've got is Women for Sobriety. Now, this is a gender-specific program that provides a supportive space for women seeking sobriety and personal growth. I, now, I'd never heard of this, so, you know, this was this was completely new to me. Um, I, I did look up a little bit about it, and it, it's basically based on a set of positive affirmations known as the New Life Program. But they, you know, have in-person meetings. They have um, online forums, uh, a lot of different things. Recently, NPR had this series, another podcast called The 13th Step. It, it showed some of how, like, the 12 steps can be difficult for women as in any social situation you can encounter predators. So the 13th step is an old timer with more sobriety takes advantage of 
somebody new in the program. And that, that's what this 13th step podcast kind of explored was some of that exploitation. And it tends to happen more to women. Uh, a gender specific program might be right for some people. Celebrate recovery. This is another new one. It does look like it's based on the 12 steps, but it has a more of a blending of the biblical principles to address a wide range of life issues. I know a lot of churches have options for, you know, if you, if you're part of a congregation or some other faith community for supporting recovery, sometimes, you know, a lot of AA meetings are hosted at churches. That's for sure. It seems like several churches offer some type of addiction, you know, recovery program of some sort, whether it be Celebrate Recovery or whatever their take is on it. But I see that a lot. So there's um, podcast communities like Recovery Elevator. These communities host sobriety meetings, usually require a membership, and they're very focused on alcohol abstinence. Before I discovered Kratom, I listened to a lot of Recovery Elevator when I was trying to get sober. And I'm aware that they have meetings. I'm not sure. I think some of them might be free and then some of them might be yet to be a member. Um, but there's a lot of podcasts that have meetings associated with them. You know, I've mentioned previously the Dopey podcast has three meetings a, a day that listeners run these group. Um, the Dopey meetings aren't run like 12-step program. Right. And then I just have a laundry list of some other options, and we're not going to go over these self-help group meetings that are alternatives to the 12 steps. So was the Life Process Program, All Recovery Meetings, Wellbriety, HAMS, Harm Reduction. There's a Life Ring SOS Hybrid Model, Dual Recovery Anonymous, or DRA, Recovery International, Phoenix Recovery. Bacati Recovery Group. And then in the interview, Jacob also mentions a new kind of medicated assistant treatment self-help group that he started to attend. There's a lot of different options out there. Yeah, there are a lot of different options. I think that's a really good thing. But then the challenge, once you kind of land in the spot is, and we'll try to tackle this next week, is how to integrate yourself into these where they're probably primarily talking about alcohol, maybe other drugs, but how to use these meetings to leverage them to help you with your abstinence from Kratom. Krista, that was our first uh, attempt at co-hosting. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> I'm sure we have some kinks to work out. Well, thanks, Krista. Now for the interview with Jacob. Welcome to this week's interview. We have Jacob from Maine. Um, could you introduce yourself to the world outside of your experience with addiction? Yeah. Hi, everybody. I'm uh, Jacob from Maine. I'm 41 years old. Sorry about my, my dog barking here a little bit. <laughs> um, so as I said, I'm 41 years old. I'm um, from southern Maine, um, right on the border with New Hampshire. Let's see. Uh, I'm married don't have kids. I've got a, a dog that you could hear kind of growling in the background here a little bit, uh, my English bulldog. And uh, outside of what I do for work, I'm a 
in software. So um, luckily, I've, I've been able to, to work from home. And it's one of the reasons why I ended up moving to Maine not too long ago. And um, for fun, I, I like to uh, go for long bike rides. I like to go snowboarding in the winter. Um, and, um, you know, I like to go see a lot of live music and uh, DJs and stuff like that when I can. Cool. Um, how did you first find out about Kratom and what were your early ex- early earliest experiences with them? Yeah, so um, I think I first found out about Kratom in like 2017 or 2018. Um, mm-hmm. I drive to the, so there's this, when I get off the highway to go to where I like to go snowboarding, it's like an hour drive and there's a couple of like gas stations slash head shops along the way. And they always had this sign. It was like CBD and Kratom. And I knew what CBD was, but I didn't know what Kratom was. So I remembered, uh, my wife was driving one time and I was like, wonder what that is. So I Googled it and I didn't think anything of it. And another, uh, couple years went by until I actually tried it in 2019. So I think a whole like two years that I was aware of it, but I didn't even, you know, didn't really cross my mind to try it. And how did the first, your first use go? Um, so my first use, I was, uh, I was sober from alcohol for a couple months and I was kind of like, I wasn't really working a program or anything like I should have been. I'd read a bunch of books and was using the, the, like a subreddit and, some online stuff, but it, it wasn't enough. And anyways, um, it's having a bunch of cravings. So I was like, Oh, I remembered that Kratom stuff. And, um, I had decided to try it. So I went and bought, you know, a small bottle of the capsules. And I don't know if that wasn't like that good of stuff or I just didn't take enough, but I remember I, I took a, I a couple grams or a gram or two and didn't really do much. I, I don't, I, I think it was probably just not very good quality stuff but um anyways I, I took it didn't really feel much and kind of put it back on the shelf and didn't really think about it again for another uh almost six months or so yeah that's interesting that was the first experience i had too with um kratom i think it was just straight up powder and capsules and small dosage and i've heard that from a lot of people I, I, it's funny on my facebook page for the podcast like a third of the requests or the third of the comments sometimes are like Kratom is a scam. <laughs> you know, I took it and I don't feel anything. A third huh. of it is people saying Kratom is not addictive, you know, and then the third of the people are like, Oh, I'm really addicted to it. Help me. So you mentioned you have some history of struggling with some other substances. Yeah. I've had a, unfortunately a lengthy history of uh, substance use and abuse going back to my teens I was one of those people that like wasn't the first time I drank but definitely one of the first times that I drank and I remember smoking weed and on top of it I was like man this is like there's something that this is changing for me that I need in my life and it was kind of on from the beginning um and I had periods of um you know it ebbed and flowed um I've I've used a bunch of different substances but um had a had a stint with pharmaceutical opiates like way back before the the whole fentanyl thing and everything like that thank goodness um and then you know some some stimulants and psychedelic drugs and stuff like that um but alcohol was my big kind of issue um really as i got older and that's kind of when i first really took when i first really got sober for real for the for the first time that was uh that was the the thing that really did it at that point yeah alcohol was as they say, my drug of choice. How long have you been sober from alcohol? 
Uh, almost five years. So it'll be five years. Um, in actually, so four and a half years in, in January of next year. So yeah. Congratulations! You quit before the yeah. pandemic, so that was a good time to quit. Yeah, yeah. I had like a, a year of uh, of and change of sobriety when that hit, which was good yeah. Because I don't think I would have done well if I had been drinking during the pandemic. Yeah. So when did kratom start to become a problem for you? Sure. Um, so right around the year mark, uh, being sober from alcohol, like I, uh, I started going to smart recovery and a couple other things, but like, it just wasn't working. I was talking to someone online and they were like, Oh, I use Kratom and it's really helpful and it kills all my cravings. And you know, it's been a godsend, et cetera. And I was like, huh, I remember I tried some of that, but it didn't really work. So I still had the the bottle and I took like double the, the the amount I took before. And I actually, I was like, oh, okay, this is actually doing something. Okay. Um, and I didn't feel like I, I, I wanted to drink again. So, or it took away all the cravings and, and, and whatnot. Um, I didn't do a lot of research on why. I mean, I should have known, right? I wasn't like opiate naive or anything. So I knew kind of in the back of my mind that, you know, that little feel, it wasn't obviously as strong as like, oxycontin or something like that but it was uh it was definitely there um so i I should have probably done some research then but i didn't so that was like uh january february ish of 2020 so right before the pandemic so i did a couple times bought some more of the the capsules but then the pandemic hit and i was like i don't have anything to do i'm not good when (laughs) when i don't have things going like i need to be very busy or else i'll get myself into some sort of trouble usually but anyways, uh, I, so I, um, I, my use really started to ramp up there. Um, I, I, and that's when I started to find, uh, extracts and, uh, that's when it really took off. I was, that I was like, wow, this is, this is some legit stuff right here. Um, so I, I, I got into those pretty hard. So that was probably starting, or I would say around like April, 2020. And it just kept gradually ramping up from there. And it was, you know, I, I knew, I could say, you know, I told myself at the beginning, well, it's not that bad, right? You know, it's like, it's not as bad as drinking, you know, I'm definitely, you know, I'm, I'm, I can function. That's the thing with Kratom. It's like, you think you're functioning, you're obviously not functioning very well, but in hindsight, but you think you're, yeah, you you think you're all, you're all right. And it's like this weird high where it's like, for me, if I, if I start drinking it, I could probably have a drink or two, but I know where it's going to go. Like with Kratom, it, it almost seemed to always get there, but it never really did. Um, like from a like really negative, like my life is like I'm setting my life on fire consequences. It wasn't till sort of the very end that that stuff really started to happen. But I uh, I remember about, you know, I, I, I the extracts are super expensive, right? So I was alternating between like when I can afford them, taking the first two or three of those a day. Then it got up to, to four. Eventually at the end, I was taking you know, four of the, four of the OPMS black ones, the really strong ones uh, a day. Plus I was buying powder and taking like a, a teaspoon or a tablespoon with each dose. And cause I, it just wasn't working anymore. But, um, I would say about a year into it, I did, I did actually switch to powder and taper off and I quit for a couple weeks and I was like, Oh, maybe this isn't so bad. So that's when, you know, I just jumped right back in. And of course it, it was worse the next time. And for me, the, the the last two years that I was using, so the first year, you know, other than that that taper off, I, I I was using pretty much every day, but it wasn't really negative consequences. But then it it really started to to get that way. I started to wake up every morning, you know, feeling like crap because of the withdrawal, and then 
you know, I was, I was taking so much that I'd sometimes make myself physically ill. And it was just, um, you know, I, I, I had terrible acne, all, all kinds of physical stuff was starting to happen. Um, so I basically was trying to quit like every day for two years and I managed to quit like 10 different times. I got anywhere from, and I would say when I say quit, I, I would classify that as like five days. I was able to do that like 10 times, anywhere yeah. from like five days to about two and a half weeks. But towards the end, even the, the last time I had a couple weeks off was right after the holidays, actually. And I remember by like the, the, the two week mark, I was still in the thick of the withdrawals. I was actually having like really bad mental stuff where I even felt like I, I never felt like this before. I've never had um, any sort of like suicidal thoughts, but I actually did for the first time ever. And it was like really, really scary. So I didn't know what to do because um, I just, you know, kept constantly relapsing. So I, I got back on the Kratom to like, just cause I couldn't deal with it. Um, and I just was like, well, I'm going to start to, to taper off and switch to powder and I, that it, it never worked. <laughs> so, you know, eventually I, I, uh, in, in April, uh, April 22nd, I, uh, I went and, you know, just, I had to get some help and, uh, that was the last time I, I used Kratom. That sounds like a long struggle. And yeah, I, I was on the OPMS blocks too. And very similar experience with some legit um, legit stuff there yeah 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 and then my tolerance went up and but I, then it was just preventing from withdrawals and then can totally feel um <laughs> what you went through and yeah the rationalizations about the you know because I, I i'm in recovery from alcoholism too and it, you know it was never as bad as as booze you know at some level it is kind of a, harm reduction but it's so insidious you know when it gets to a place where you're having suicidal thinking and you're spending a hundred dollars a day yeah the money was just insane that i I don't even want to think about it yeah it's (laughs) like it's like this is a major addiction it's you know it's not a form of harm reduction anymore but if it ever was what happened you went to get help so how did what did that look like yeah so um so i you know i I started, I was, I stopped, I, like I mentioned, I had, I, I tried AA when I first quit drinking and that, um, no, no knock against the program. I know for some people it's, it's, it's really helpful. It wasn't for me to get into that, but anyways, um, smart, smart recovery was for whatever reason, uh, when I quit drinking, um, and I, I stopped, you know, about a year in when I started with the creative, but anyway, so I went back to that and it wasn't working. And I was, um, so, you know, this, this guy I was talking to who was also an alcoholic and had issues with, with, uh, Kratom. He was taking those, uh, you had a guest that I think it was the feel free tonics, the Kava and Kratom things. He was like, yes. super addicted to those. Um, but he was like, you know, Hey, this stuff is, is, is no joke. You know, you're on a basically in the amount you're taking is just an astronomical amount of like people say, well, it's, it's nothing compared to opiates. I disagree quite a bit, especially when you're taking an astronomical amount like I was. Yeah. Um, but anyways, um, so he was like, you know, if, if you're struggling to get off this, you've tried to taper like 10 times, you know, you've, you've quit 10 times and relapsed. You struggle to taper. You've got, you know, 20 plus years of addiction history. Maybe you should, you should amp it up and go see your doctor. But um, I went to see my um, my just my PCP, my my regular doctor, and mm-hmm. she was basically like, "I don't have any experience with this, um, and I don't want to, you know, give you the wrong advice." But you know, she referred me to 
a clinic. They, they, it was taking a while. So I, um, I did some research and I just went to a, a telemedicine service and the doctor I saw knew, knew right about, um, Kratom. So, you know, she had, we had talked about all of my, my history and, and she recommended, um, trying medicated assisted treatment. So that's what I did. So I've been on Suboxone now for about two and a half months. Um, they started, they wanted to start me at a really high dose, but we ended up on a, what I think is a lowerish type of dose, which works perfectly well for, for keeping me, um, you know, level, I guess, and stabilized. So that was about four milligrams. Um, so that's what my experience looked like, uh, more or less. And, and in, in addition to that, I've been, I've been really ramping up going back into recovery. I have been, um, double dipping on smart recovery. And there's also, um, I found this, newish uh fellowship called Amara, which is medicated assisted treatment anonymous specifically for people that are on medication as assistant it's a small group they have they have a bunch of different online meetings and some local meetings not too many but it's been that was that was a good find because it was cool to talk to people with a very similar experience and a similar treatment path so i'm glad you were able to advocate for yourself i hear i mean i'm just a lay person but i hear lots of people say they feel the dosage is too high and they got to talk their doctor and self-advocate to get a little bit lower dose, you know, so they don't feel over-medicated. So I'm glad that worked out for you. Yeah. The first, um, the first two days when I stopped Kratom, I didn't, you know, I had, I, I waited 24 hours before I started the medication per the doctor's instructions. So I was in pretty deep withdrawal by then for, uh, from the, the extract. It immediately wiped all that out. The, the, the thing is that you have that mental stuff too. That's a bit different for, because I've been through opiate detox and we could talk about that a little bit too, but the difference is that mental component. So you still have to deal with that, but the physical, like I was able to sleep and, and, and I can make it to, to work and stuff. So that was, that was a big, big thing. Uh, big, big help for me. That's a big, yeah. I, I didn't sleep for a week and I didn't sleep for or much and yeah and i think that's the first week or two major reason to relapse is just to get relief from the physical stuff but or the mental stuff i think you mentioned in your initial email to me experience some stigma or blowback about your choice about using yeah i i did um so i I like you. I know you mentioned that, you know, you've used the, the, the subreddit. And um, mm -hmm. so I, I've used the, the quitting Kratom subreddit. And um, one of the reasons was, was because when I quit drinking, the quit drinking one was like amazing. It was a super, super helpful resource. I found this, the quitting Kratom one to be a little bit less, well, uh, helpful. Yeah. Um, the, the moderators are, are very um, impartial, which is good. So I don't want to put any um, kind of blame on the moderation team because I think they're doing the, as best of a job as they can do. But there's a lot of people on there that, for whatever reason, are very, very much anti-MAT, anti-medicated assisted treatment. And some of the advice they give, which, and I don't want to knock anybody's treatment path because it's all, you know, your recovery is your own thing and it's different for all of us. So we really can't be judgmental of, of how one person chooses to, to you know, better themselves or, or get better or practice harm reduction or whatever you're trying to do. But um, there was just so much animosity from, from people about how like, oh, that's overkill. You know, that's like taking a, a jackhammer to, uh, to when you're, when you, all you need is a hammer or, you know, you're, you're, you're just basically trading addictions. And, you know, for me, what they always seemed to consider was just like the withdrawal period. And I was like, you know, for, for me, I, I could do the withdrawals. Like I, I've done them you know, 10 times at this point. I'm not, I'm not saying that they're easy or they don't suck. They're terrible. I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but you know, that wasn't 
necessarily my biggest problem. My problem was like I could I couldn't not keep relapsing. And I, you know, I I when I talked to the doctor and even when I talked to my um you know, just my regular doctor, she was like, this is a lengthy thing. It wasn't like, you know, I just got addicted to Kratom or I just had a year or two with alcohol. This is like 20 years of substance abuse is, is basically as best I could put it, I, I guess. Um, so, you know, for me, it was the maintenance piece. Like I, I needed to, I, I tried total abstinence. I, I, you know, that was my, my goal. It didn't work um, very well for me. Um, so I figured, you know, with, the, with what the doctor and I talked about, you know, do this for a year and then taper off slowly. Or if I need, feel like I need to be on it longer, I need to be on it longer, but give myself some time to kind of like rebuild. And that was the piece that seemed to be missing the most from uh, the Reddit thing. It was like, well, you know, they're only thinking about the withdrawal, but that wasn't always it for me. It was like, I, I just, I needed more than that. Um, and I also think some of the comparisons aren't necessarily true. Um, I unfortunately also, when I was in my early twenties, I was, um, I had a problem with opioids and, and pain pills and it was back in the early two thousands. Um, so I ended up for about a year taking, you know, Oxycontin at the end, I was probably taking like 120 to 150 milligrams a day. So not an insignificant habit. Yeah. Um, and for me, the Kratom withdrawals were way worse Really, because of the, they just lingered a lot longer. Yeah, they weren't as intense physically, but the mental part just wasn't there. And the other thing I think I can't just count as, you know, I was twenty, twenty-one years old when I went through the opiates, and I'm forty-one now, so that probably plays a astronomical difference too. Um, but long story short, like I, I think the the subreddit for me, and and even some of the advice I see on some Facebook groups and others, it's like. It's it's very very generic and very much like don't do this. It's it's bad. You're you're just replacing it with one addiction with another. And I think there's a huge difference between dependence and addiction. And like I don't, you know, I can't just go to the store and, and get more Suboxone. I can't just if I you know I have to I have to take it as prescribed under a doctor's orders. Otherwise, you know, there are potential consequences. And you know, I have to go every month and I'm in a program and I, you know, I potentially have to get drug tested, all these things. So it's it's very different in in my opinion. Now I'm sure that coming off of it is not going to be easy. Um when but you know, I, I do believe that under the the care of a doctor I'll have a better success rate than I um would under um just, you know, trying to to quit on my own. That's the other thing I think is interesting. I see a lot of people um, online recommend if you're going to use Suboxone for Kratom just to use it for a couple days or whatever. And I know um, treatment programs do that, so I'm sure there's there's validity in that. But the studies do show, if you if you look at them, that the success rate and the relapse rate is super high with that method versus hmm. a, a longer maintenance period. And I, I think particularly when you try to do it yourself, like if you're going to do that, I would suggest having a, a plan with a doctor and not going under the guise that you're going to go into medication and getting the script and then doing it yourself. Because I, I think you need to be accountable with someone. I mean, one of the reasons a lot of us, I think, get on creative is we do have like this natural distrust to doctors, and the medical establishment, and maybe even big pharma, you know, so we we are into self-medicating and we'll try be more open to trying something. Yeah. 
real briefly, I'm, I'm glad that you talked about smart recovery. I often bring up 12 steps and that's what I'm familiar with, but I, mm-hmm. I do want it. There are other options out there and the 12 steps are not for everybody. Um, so just briefly, could you just give an overview of what smart recovery is like? Yeah. So smart recovery is, um, it's different in the sense that you're, you're not working steps. It's based on cognitive behavioral therapy. So really, you know, training your cognitive mind to, to think and act differently. So it's a little more scientific based. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's, there's no, you know, you don't get a sponsor, you don't, you don't go through the steps, but the the meetings can be, be quite similar. A lot of, you know, open format, checking in, talking about uh, where you are, how you're feeling. Um, there's, I, I don't, you know, it's interesting. You, we usually you don't get a lot into um like the different substances people are are taking unless they offer it up, which sometimes people do. But um, you can yeah, you can pretty much be on be on anything. And um, I don't I don't even know if, I, I don't know if they they even have an abstinence like requirement. Obviously, that's the goal, but it's 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 a bit uh so so that's the main main difference. More of the the cognitive behavior approach versus the steps and sponsorship approach. So they don't necessarily like do day counting and and that kind of stuff. No, I think a lot of people there do day count, but they don't. It's not like a it's not like it, a big thing. It's not a community function like it is. Like yeah, there's stuff. there's no chips or anything. Yeah. anything like that. Um. Well, how did the first month go after you quit kratom? Um. The first month, the I would say the first half of the month was a, a bit uh odd you know i was adjusting to the medication um and i think what that looked like is just like i like i said i started a bit um my my doctor wanted to start me on uh, an eight milligram dose and i eventually it was i was having some side effects that were like very very sleepy and some other things so the first week was like getting down to the the right dosage that i'm all ultimately on now and then um, I would say this the second like half of the week I was still dealing with some mental stuff, but uh, physically I was I was pretty fine. And then from there, it you know it really everything kind of got better. Um, I m- most days I was just I feel normal for the first time in a, in a long time. Um, like I said, I have that really really lengthy substance abuse history, so I think that's that's what it is. But on um, the second half of the month, really, you know, I I was having some physical problems that the kratom was was bringing on too. Like I had some neurological problems like it, I would uh, shake a little bit sometimes in the mornings um, so I had some physical issues with when I was taking kratom at the end so um, that that all went away uh, within like the first two weeks I, I no longer had a little bit of like shakiness in my my hands um, I my stomach pain and, and all that was was really um, sorted out and then um, it really just got even better and better from from there um, obviously the, the medication really really helps with the the craving aspect and in, 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 in wanting kratom. So that's, that's been, you know, super helpful that I, I know everybody else that's not on that has to, has to deal with that. It's not that I don't have cravings. It's just, they're nowhere near as intense. And I think I don't have the, the, the withdrawal component that makes it, you know, real easy to, to give in. Yeah. But um, the, the first month, you know, after those, those first two weeks of kind of adjustment, it got, it got really good. And I feel like I've gotten my, my life back somewhat. That's great. Did your skin clear up some? It did, yeah. Um, as I said, the, the kratom gave me a little bit of acne, and it's it's pretty much much gone gone away for the for the most part. The skin cleared up. I no longer um, was having some weird side effects like um, like urinary retention uh, at the end with the kratom, so that that went away. All the the mental like 
depression and um, that when I, when I wasn't dosing and all that, that went away too. And no more suicidal thoughts, obviously. So that was, that was really good. Outside the, the help that the, your the medication provided, was there anything else that you did for withdrawals? Yeah, uh, I did a lot of um, hot baths. Like I'd get achy sometimes in the evening and that, that helped a lot. Took more vitamin C. I usually just take a multivitamin, but mm-hmm. um, I, I know vitamin C is like, been, there's like a whole protocol that some people use to, to help with withdrawals on that. But I didn't do that. I just upped that a little bit and it seemed to seemed to help a bit. And other than that exercise, I got back into, I was, I was exercising still when I was on Kratom, but it was like half-hearted. Um, yeah. So I really got, got back into, into that and that helped a, a ton. It sucks when you're in the moment to try to, I, and I even did this the, the times when I had um, had quit Kratom over the last two years for those, you know, five days to, to two or two weeks or two and a half weeks ish uh, time periods. I would force myself to, get up and you know go for a run or go for a bike ride and it sucked but at the end it provided especially when i wasn't taking medication and i was in the thick of withdrawals at the end it did provide some real significant relief so exercise is, is really big um so i've kind of I've gotten way back into that i don't know what it is with creating withdrawals between me you and rob we're men in our 40s and 50s and we're taking all these baths <laughs> yeah i don't know why it is yeah it really helps though it it does it, it was the only, it was one of the few things that gave me some relief you mentioned you touched this about your addiction to the oxys do you yeah. want to talk a little bit more about how the withdrawals were harder yeah um, yeah so with with the oxy it's like um what happened was i would i i had I had worked at this auto body shop in the summers when I was in college. And um, mm-hmm. one of the people that ran it was like, he was in one of these pill mills. So he's getting like all these, this is way back in the early two thousands when uh, that epidemic was kind of in its infancy. And anyways, he was getting like so many more pills. So he was selling them to me so cheap. And then I was selling them to friends and it just became really easy to do a lot of oxycontin every day and it was you know i didn't really think about the consequences at the time because i was young and dumb but um yeah. anyways after a year of that i was just about to finish college i was getting ready to to move to new york city i did not want an opiate habit on my on my back and all that stuff i wanted to just start my life and move on so i um i had like three weeks i think before i was going to move and start my job so i just quit cold turkey on a sunday and by like so I, I took my last bit Saturday night and then I was already woke up, you know, feeling sick and it just ramped up super, super fast. Like I found like Kratom, it came on a little bit slower and, and took a little longer to ramp up. But with the Oxy, it was like, it was like almost zero to 60 in within an hour or two. Um, and it was real bad. Like, um, like Kratom, the physical stuff, it's bad, but this was a whole, like, it was a notch or two above that. But the thing was, after, like, the 48-hour mark, it pretty much peaked, and from there, it, it went down. And the other thing is, I didn't have the, like, the super really, like, I had restless legs with the Oxy, but nowhere near. Like, with the Kratom, that was my, my by far the worst symptom. Uh, I had it in my arms, too, and it made sleep impossible. Um, I was able to, like, it was, I didn't get much sleep with the, the Oxy in the first five days, but um, I definitely got 
more sleep cumulatively than I did um, anytime trying to uh, kick the kratom. But with the kratom, the other thing that was there is like that mental, like just, I don't know, it just it really like the anxiety ramps up and you just feel like super depressed for no good reason. And the just, I, I don't know, like this just impending sense of doom is what I would get with, with, with coming off kratom. And I didn't have that with the um, oxycontin. It was like really just a, a physical like attachment and then the other thing is once it was out of my system, like I I got cravings, but nowhere near towards what I was getting after a couple of days coming off Kratom. Um, so that was the big difference for me. It was like it was it was a little more intense physically, but it was a lot quicker and it was um there was there was none of that terrible mental stuff. And for me, I think I've just unfortunately with you know the alcohol abuse and you know, some stimulant use and, and opiates and now Kratom. I've put my body through a bunch of physical <laughs> pain from substances. So I think I can, for me, that's not the worst part. It's it's the mental part that was really yeah. bad with you, the Kratom. With the Oxy, did you have repeated relapses on those? No, actually. Um, I actually ended up, I, I had to have shoulder surgery like seven or eight years, eight years ago for, uh, I broke my collarbone and needed to have it surgically uh, repaired. And I got, um, you know, a pretty significant amount of Oxycontin to, to take home. And I, I didn't even finish the script because I remember I had to get back to work. It was like five days in. And I was like, I'm just totally high out of my mind. Uh, and I was in the thick of my alcohol addiction. So I was like, Oh, I want to get back to drinking beer. And like, yeah, so. I, I, I didn't even like, so long story short, no, I didn't even like. Yeah, I didn't even, I didn't even care about it then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With the kratom, I mean, I, I think one word I hear a lot is there's just this mental anguish. Um, yes, that's a good way to describe it. Like you said, you know, our eight when we get older, I think we rebound is harder. And I've heard from many people that that the withdrawals from kratom can be hard, and sometimes they they seem like some people report. <laughs> that they're harder than other substances and i know, yeah, I know. outsiders like just cannot believe that it. It, it must be some kind of f- fiction yeah that we're like, create, like we're exaggerating just for the sake of giving kratom a bad name and it's we're just reporting our real experiences i i have a couple things that i want to mention based on what you said yeah, um yeah. the first point is i think the reason why kratom is this is i'm not a scientist by any means. That was probably yeah. my least uh, good subject in school. But um, from what I have read and from what I can tell, there's something like 25 to 40 different alkaloids that are active in kratom. So it's not yes. just the metrogenine that's hitting your, you know, mu opioid receptor. It's a ton of other things too. Uh, some of which why the mental anguish piece comes in is supposedly the SSRI capabilities, um, which Actually, when I had my shoulder surgery, um, when I was taking the, the Oxycontin, I was said it was too strong. The doctor gave me some tramadol, which was less strong for like just the, the last kind of couple days to replace it with. And I remember that being very similar to Kratom because I think it also has like an SSR property. But anyways, um, I think one of the reasons why it can be so different for people is because those different alkaloids are probably reacting differently based on your own individual body chemistry and how, you know, and also the variance between like the different type of 
plant compound you're getting because it's all it can all be a little bit different, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that might have something to do with it. Um, and then the other thing I think is I do think more and more people are, are getting trapped in, in Kratom because it's everywhere now. Like when I, you know, when you asked me when I first saw it, that was the first time in, in 2018, 2017, when I was driving on the road that I ever even heard of Kratom. And when I Googled it, there wasn't even that much info. Now there's like, first thing that seems to come up are vendors selling it then rehabs, then like uh, subreddit posts and, and stuff like that. But I think from what I can gather, there's a lot of people that are really getting hooked on it now and seem to be finding out it's not harmless and it's not this benign plant. Um, my doctor had told me that she's treating multiple people for kratom addiction um, and the the overall telehealth practice. That's a that's a big portion of of people seeking help because they also got stuck on it. And I think the the extract versions in particular are really bad news. I, I was thinking about this. Like, I don't, I've always been very much like prohibition doesn't work. Like even with alcohol, like, right. I, I, I read this book called alcohol explained by uh, William Porter, which I think is a really great book, but basically it trains your brain to think about alcohol as like a poison, which it really is. So like, should poison be legal? I don't know, but obviously prohibition doesn't work. So I'm not, I don't think alcohol should be illegal. I don't honestly know if any drug should be illegal because of I don't it just doesn't work like ideally it would work and then yes that would make sense but since it doesn't work there's probably a better approach but I think some just uncomplete unregulation like we have now is not good so maybe something like with how alcohol is regulated or how marijuana is regulated in a legal state would make sense Uh, yeah I totally agree with you yeah yeah like alcoholism didn't um decrease or go away during prohibition but i think having it be the proliferation of kratom on every corner i don't think is helpful for everybody and and then the potency of those extract shots um yeah i i I mean I, i i do believe the evidence that kratom is less harmful than alcohol yeah i could see that that doesn't mean it's safe and it doesn't mean that it's non-addictive and it doesn't mean that it shouldn't be regulated sort of in that class calling it food product like nutmeg or tea is just ridiculous but that's the advocacy position of yeah american kratom association and pro kratom advocates but i mean part of their advocacy position is that kratom addiction isn't a real thing and they've never met anybody that's yeah. ever been Addicted to Kratom. A lot of people that would disagree with that position. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you already talked about smart recovery and this medicated assistance 12 step program. Uh, is there anything else that you're doing to maintain abstinence? I, I've gone to in and out of therapy for probably the last like 15 or 16 years. Um, I, I've had trouble recently finding good therapists. So, like when the pandemic started, I, I just wasn't. I didn't feel like I had a good therapist at the time, so I decided to leave, and then the pandemic hit, and then everybody tried to get therapy. Uh, so long story short, it took me a while to find another therapist, but I did find one that I'm happy with, and um, I, I've also been been doing that because I, I, I personally think that you know addiction. There's a lot of debate: is it a disease or not? I don't, I don't know. I think it 
It could be <laughs> just because I, I think people have tendencies. I don't think it's the only thing. I think obviously you have to make a choice to use a substance. But when you do, if you have if you have a disease of addiction, I think it's going to really take off for you um, is kind of where my opinion is. But long story short, I think the, the therapy to kind of work on that and try to figure out, you know, the like the, the you know, why, why am I constantly looking to substances to change the way I feel? Um, is it, you know, trauma related? Is it something else? Um, so I'm still, I don't really know what it is, but I think I'll probably be working on that for the rest of my life. But long story short, I'm doing that. Um, and the, uh, you know, the other thing is I think I, I became pretty socially hermitish with the pandemic. And then with my addiction, like I, I wasn't, you know, using and then going out and meeting friends and doing stuff. I was, you know, using Kratom extract and listening to music or, you know, watching the, the same series on Netflix that I saw 10 times already and, and, you know, not leaving my house. So, um, for me, it's also been, I, I've started to rekindle a lot of relationships. Yeah. I could totally re relate to the hermit thing. And it was, the timing was also related overlap with the pandemic. I found I was like still self quarantining in house after things opened up, you know, and, you know, part of it was just like maybe folks with histories like ours like to isolate, but then the, yeah. I, I don't think the Kratom helped very much. So no, what is your, didn't. yeah, yeah. What is your life today? Kratom free. Oh, my life today. Kratom free is you know, I think it's, it's, it's pretty good. Um, you know, like I, I said, I, I don't, I think for me, like, I, I really wish I debated going on the, the medication like a year ago. Like I literally okay. almost went to the doctor then, but I didn't because I psyched myself out reading all this stuff and like, you know, I'm just trading another day. Anyways, I wish I would have done it sooner. So that's one regret I have, but, um, you know, the past, you know, once I got through that initial two weeks and then it's just gotten better and better. And, you know, it's probably like some of that pink cloud or whatever. But um, at, at the same time, like, I feel like I'm doing things that I haven't done in a long time. Like I've been very more present with, with family members. I actually, uh, none of my family lives close by. So I hadn't been home to see my mom and dad and my brother and my nephews for like almost a year. Cause like, the last trip we took was to see my wife's family around the holidays and just been isolating because I was, doing Kratom the whole time. Um, but anyways, I, I, you know, I felt like I reconnected really well with, with everybody. And I was just probably more present than I have been in, in even years before Kratom with the, the alcohol usage and stuff like that. Um, and I've been just generally in a, in a much better mood. I've been, I've had a lot of nonsense at work and, and stuff that probably would have made me really upset um, when I was yeah. using that I've been able to just you know, because I think I've been present and been like, you know, just thinking about it and how, you know, it's just work. It's it's relatively meaningless in the scheme of things. <laughs> um, you know, like I've been able to get past that really well. So I think my life's been been, been much better and I'm, you know, excited to um, for the first time I'm looking forward to doing some travel. I, I again with the self-isolation and um, with, with Kratom, right, you got to worry about in three hours when you're going to where you're going to take your next dose or whatever so you know i've i've planned a, a a pretty lengthy trip um well not lengthy like but like a two-week trip um to to go to uh where where is it again uh norway that's where we're gonna go sorry nice so, yeah, we, were, we were debating on a couple of things yeah so i always wanted to go there and um you know i 
I've saved some money over the past couple months and I'll save some more money because I'm not using Kratom. So I figured, you know, I need to start putting it in the bank, but might as well do something nice for myself uh, before that. So that's my plan. Excellent. It's a much way, better way to spend your money than giving it to OPMS. I, I think fully so. I fully endorse that. A trip, nice. international trip. Um, you have a warning to sober alcoholics in recovery about using Kratom? Yes. You- um, I know you have a history with, with alcohol. I think, if I remember correctly, there's been at least one, maybe two guests that also had a history with alcohol. And um, the Medicaid Assistant Recovery Program I'm in, there's several people in there with Kratom, uh, for Kratom, and I've had some direct conversations. 75% of the people were alcoholics before. There's a huge portion of people that I see when I'm interacting with folks online um, and people that are posting that seem to follow the same trajectory. It's they feel like they are going to relapse on alcohol and they go to the subreddit or they go online and some vendors posted something about how Kratom is this great herbal supplement for helping deal with alcohol cravings and you know if you're if you're looking for something this is a good thing and it seems to follow the same trajectory that it it works really well you start out with the best intentions you take it you know once a week twice a week maybe once a month maybe only when you have a craving but eventually something happens and you realize and you figure out that you can take this every day and you can still go to work and no one's gonna know and it just becomes this secret addiction that Ends up a year later, you're on the quitting subreddit telling everybody how, you know, you didn't, you didn't realize this was this addictive thing. And, um, it, I've just seen it so many times and I did it to myself. Um, so I would just, if you're, if you have any history of alcoholism and you're dabbling with Kratom and you've stumbled upon this podcast, um, I would, I would just think twice about using it because I don't think, I'm sure there are people that, use Kratom that can use it responsibly that are ex-alcoholics, but I haven't personally met any of them. And I think they're a rare animal. <laughs> the the one thing I think we, that I, if I can have some, what, what I would like to do in, in my recovery from, from Kratom is if given the opportunity, I want to just provide some counterpoints to the Kratom industry, because I think that right now they're driving the narrative on most of this. Like they're, they're the ones doing most of the activism on like making sure Kratom is remaining safe and legal. And some of the stuff they put forward was actually a little bit reasonable, but some of it isn't. So I think you need to be careful there because it's like the tobacco industry driving the cigarette debate. You know, you don't want that. You want, you want some sort of there, there's no, nothing in life for that I have found is black and white. It's always yes. gray. So you definitely need varied opinions to make sure that you can prevent the most harm, but also, you know, if there are, and I know there are people that do have legitimate pain that have had problems with, you know, getting medicine as a result of backlash on the opioid epidemic. And I would hate to see someone that, you know, legitimately takes a couple grams of Kratom a day that can't get out of bed otherwise have that taken away from them. So I, but I don't know what the right kind of answer is. Yeah. I mean, we're, yeah, we're, we're see eye to eye to that. The Kratom advocates are the loudest voice in the room, and they I do think they some of the positions are extreme in the name, do anything to keep Kratom legal. And yeah, I don't think industry should uh, self-regulate. Like, there's this new podcast called Big Sugar, and, <laughs> and it's digging into 
some of the corporate malfeasance of the sugar industry, you know, which has its own addictive qualities, you know. So oh, they've got me. That's that's my next addiction. I've got it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, diabetes. Diabetes is a serious condition in America, and probably more widespread than kratom addiction. But parallel is industries shouldn't Hmm. run amok. Let's switch to something more fun. What okay is your go-to music when you're having a horrible day? Yeah, um, so I like, I've always been a big fan of electronic music. Um, uh, more days I'm into like more uplifting type house music these days. So, um, there's a French house producer. His name is Janaret. It's J-A-N-A-R-E-T. Uh, and he produces these like, I would say kind of deep ethereal type of, I don't know. It's like very, but it's it's also at the same time like minimalistic house music. It's very mm-hmm. much something that you could listen to while like, you know, making breakfast in the morning, or you could simultaneously turn it up at night and you know dance really really hard with your friends. It kind of satisfies both those things. So when I'm having a bad day, I like to put that on and just do some uh, therapeutic dance to to get it all out, and that <laughs> that helps me. All right. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we end our conversation? You know, thanks for for having me on and for uh, starting the podcast. I was, uh, you know, when I, I think the the third or fourth week that I had uh, been off Kratom, I was, you know, just searching. I was like, oh, I wonder, I I listened to, I think you'd mentioned you listen to Recovery Elevator sometimes too. And um, Mm -hmm. and a couple other like alcohol focused podcasts that I I, I like to listen to sometimes, but the um, not vigilant with my alcohol addiction because it's always going to be there, but I feel like I'm in a better place with that versus Kratom at this point in my life. So I was like, oh, I wonder if there's anything of a similar mind. And um, I found your podcast. That was super helpful. So thanks for uh, for doing this work. I think it's important and it's going to help a lot of people. Glad to add an, an extra resource to the mix. And uh, thanks. You, and you've diversified our, you're the, the second oldest person to be on the show. So... <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but yeah, it's good. It's good. Well, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Okay, let's keep in touch. Kratom in the headlines. Earlier this month, on July 8th, 2023. On NPR's Weekend Edition Saturday, there was a piece entitled, The Readily Available Herbal Supplement Kratom is Facing Wrongful Death Suits. And if you haven't figured it out, I'm the kind of guy that listens to NPR. So when I woke up on Saturday morning and I heard Scott Simon talking about Kratom, I was like, holy wow. So uh, he starts off the story, a raft of wrongful death lawsuits has been brought against vendors of Kratom, an herbal supplement that can act like an opiate on the human body. It's sold at gas stations and vape shops and bars. And as Peter Hayden reports from Southern Florida, experts and officials disagree over just what it is and how it ought to be regulated. So I'm going to test the limits of copyright here. I think this might be in fair use, but we'll see. I meet Cindy Ross at a South Florida marina with a boundary. In December 2021, her 30-year-old son, Max, was excited about to start a new job as a sous chef. He went to the mall with a friend to get the right shoes he needed to work in the kitchen. A few hours later, Cindy got a call from her ex-husband. He said, who are you with? I said, I'm with my sisters. He said, I need to tell you that Max is dead. 
Max had collapsed while walking home. He'd had a few beers at the mall, and at some point, a significant amount of kratom, possibly as the concentrated extract. The medical examiner determined that the combination killed him. Cindy Ross and thousands of other Americans are calling for increased government regulation of kratom, especially labeling and guidance on how to use it safely. Then the story goes into the case of the nurse in Florida who we reported on earlier on an earlier episode who died in one of $4.16 million wrongful death case. Matt Weatherington is an attorney in Atlanta. He's not representing the Talavera family, but his firm is partnering on dozens of other similar wrongful death lawsuits that accuse vendors of selling a dangerous product without proper warnings and instructions. When you're selling a drug next to Skittles or energy drinks, you have no means of knowing that you're dealing with something that is exponentially more dangerous than anything else on the shelf. The article in the report closes out with a couple quotes and interviews, one with Matt Cotto, the head of the American Creative Association. He even says, quote, the case in Florida was egregious. They had nothing on it other than space dust in the Ziploc bag. It's the poster child for why regulations need to be put into effect. Agreed. And then Crystal McCurry was interviewed. He's the renowned scientist from Florida. McCurdy acknowledges the need for the oversight in what he calls a Wild West marketplace. Nearly a dozen states have passed legislation to regulate Kratom. Five states have banned the product. So on that note, I have some recommendations. I came up with 10 principles of, that I think should be put into place when talking about Kratom regulation. Let me read those for you and I'll post them on social media. That's already up on Twitter, but I'll put them on the other channels. So one, 100% universal testing of all Kratom products with a guarantee every sale is free of toxins, adulterations, and heavy metals, and no exceptions. Standardized labeling system listing the key alkaloids, the amounts of them. Uh, age 21 sales restriction. Curbing of extract sales. Aid, for example, they should not be sold on every corner store flooding communities across the country with a powerful addictive product. Five, widely warned about the specific prescription and drug interaction risks of Scratum, including danger of death. Uh, six, inform customers of addiction risks, including potential for tolerance, dependency, withdrawal, and inform about other known Kratom side effects. This is going to be a hard one because the industry claims that Kratom is harmless and there aren't any side effects. So it's going to require reform from within. Do not market to at-risk populations, including those with an addiction history. Eight, restrict internet sales in the same way as tobacco, cannabis, and alcohol sales to ensure children don't buy it and to track product back to a local source. State-based system of licensing and inspections for Kratom retailers modeled after other substances and prevent arrests for Kratom possession through decriminalization all 50 steps, states. And expunge everybody's record who's ever been charged with Kratom possession. Resource of the week. Today, I'm going to recommend a medication that I used during my withdrawal. But before I start, I just want to say I am not a doctor. I have no medical training or background. 
This is a lay person's user report of a medication that I found helpful. It had the least amount of side effects and risks associated with it from my own research and from my own use. And uh, this medication is called clonidine. It is a 40-year-old antihypertensive medication that lowers blood pressure and heart rate by relaxing the arteries, increasing the blood supply to the heart. It's approved by the FDA for treating high blood pressure, treatment of ADHD in children, management of tics for those with Tourette syndrome. Clonidine has multiple off-label uses, including managing withdrawal symptoms from opioids and benzos and alcohol and for treating anxiety, insomnia, and post-traumatic stress disorder. Because the effects of clonidine on the nervous system, specifically reduction of circulating epidephrine, has been used in many other aspects of medicine. For example, control of hot flashes in menopause, restless leg syndrome, and for uh, migraine headaches. If you want to get a prescription for this, talk to your medical provider, and also do some research on the internet about its side effects, its counterindications, and any other risk factors. Personally, I used it for about a month. I had a supply, a 30-day supply, and I used it starting the week two, and I really thought it helped relax me. I felt my sleep improved after the use of it, and I just felt more even. And one of the good things, I didn't feel high from it at all, and I didn't have any urges to take more than prescribed to try to get like a high effect from it, you know? So to me, I think it's the best helper med with the lowest risk factors. It has some effectiveness and it's kind of under the radar. So I would suggest it. A couple things to note. Uh, There is at least one, uh, there's at least one article that talks about using clonidine for creative addiction. This is article that was in, let's see, where, what is this article? Uh, the Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health, the WMJ. The article is called A Case Report of Kratom Addiction and Withdrawal by David Galvis Rieg, MD. The abstract Kratom, a relatively unknown herb among physicians in the Western world at the time, this was 2016, is advertised on the internet as an alternative to opioids as a potential treatment for withdrawal and is a legal high with minimal addiction potential. This report describes a case of kratom addiction in a 37-year-old woman with a severe opiate-like withdrawal symptoms that was managed successfully with symptom-triggered clonidine therapy. I'll put all this information in the show notes. So before we close today, I guess I will read one email from a listener. This is from N. Got about a week ago. Hey, I just recently discovered your podcast on the Facebook group, Quitting Kratom Support. I'm 121 days free after a seven-year-old addiction to Kratom. I would love to tell my story in hopes to help someone else who might find something that relates to them and what I have to say. Let me know if I can be of any help. Thank you for bringing awareness to this epidemic. I'm looking forward to bringing N onto the show and hopefully in August. So that brings us to a close today. If you want to be in touch with the show, sending me an email at creativesobriety at gmail is the best. We're also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I just started accounts on TikTok and YouTube. So find us there as well. And until next week, keep it Kratom free.